Well, good morning, Scott Weatherford again, and we're excited that you've joined us for yet another adventure in the Word of God to see the heart of God. This summer has been crazy, busy, lots of videotaping, lots of kind of challenges of leadership because of the pandemic, but we've learned a lot about online and about talking to you guys online, and so I just want to encourage you today. I've, I've got a bag of coffee with me. This is uh, from HEB, which, you know, my daughter works for HEB, so I'm a big fan of the grocery store here in Texas. If you're not from Texas, we feel sorry for you, number one. Uh, then also feel sorry that you don't have HEB. But there's this coffee that they produce called the Houston Blend. I love this coffee. It tastes like uh, coconut. It's got a little coconut in it. It's a wonderful blend. But there's a problem with it. Every time I make this, there's a song that's stuck in my head. I keep singing it's from Urban Cowboy. Houston, Houston means that I'm one day closer to you. Okay, now it's stuck in your head. But it's kind of funny how songs get stuck in your head. And they just remind you of something or connect with something or just kind of are something silly like making Houston coffee. Well, there's a song that's kind of been brought out to me lately that's really kind of been one of those songs that's not stuck in my head, but it's actually stuck in my heart. And it's about the goodness of God. In fact, every time I sing this song, then I get choked up because there's just a, a line in it that just gets me that, that God is so faithful and so, so good. Now, it's really kind of unusual that a song would move me. Even though I'm a musician, I guess I've been beat up so much by the church music wars that I'm kind of over it. But this song really, there's a line that says, it's in the song that says this, your goodness is running after, is running after me. That line just wrecks me because I think about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and, and it just wrecks me. I cannot begin to tell you how many times God has shown me his faithfulness over my life, that he has just pursued me. Uh, there's a poem called The Hound of Heaven that talks about how God has pursued us down the, the, the serpentine uh, quarters of time, that God has done this and he's running after me. And there's he's never fails. He always comes through. He's incredibly faithful. It's a day we're going to see the heart of God and the heart of faithfulness, how God is faithful. There's so many reasons to trust God, but one of the biggest reasons is that he is faithful. He comes through. Now, as I look through the focus of my life, I have a natural proclivity to be self-centered. Now, before you judge me, I want you to think about this. Think about this in the pandemic. How many of us have become self-centered? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to social distance. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And then it's not what I want. It's my preference. You know, and I thought about this the other day. Maybe we should just Put on our shirt, put on our shoes, put out our cigarette, buckle up our seatbelts, put on our mask, and just live life to protect others and protect ourselves. Okay, I know that's probably going to get some emails, but anyway, God is faithful. And he's not faithful based on my selfishness. He's faithful based on his character. And so we're going to look at that today in, in Psalm 105. And I love this. It's not just for me, but it's for us. The psalmist shows God working in the past. And he's keeping his promise in the present, and he will keep his promises to the thousandth generation. And this thousandth generation is not some kind of measurement, but it shows that God is elongating into eternity how he's faithful. Now, this psalmist is probably written 
following the Babylonian captivity. The Hebrew children were carried off into Babylonian captivity. They were there for 70 years. And I'm sure that during that time, they thought God was not faithful, but he was. And the psalmist wrote this looking back on the hindsight of captivity, coming now into Jerusalem and reestablishing the the holy city and the reign of God in, in, in Israel. They've been coming back from captivity, and he writes this song. And it just reminds us that God is faithful. And that's what this psalmist is doing. No matter the circumstances of our life, that God is faithful. And it reminds me of this, what, what Baruch, who was Jeremiah's scribe, wrote in Lamentation. Let me read. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So let's today look at the heart of God, the heart of faithfulness. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you just speak through me. And I thank you for how faithful you've been, how you've shown me your kindness and mercy all the days of my life, that your love has literally been running after, running after me. And so, Father, I pray as I communicate, as I talk, and as we share these moments together, that you will move in our lives in such a way that define us and refine us, that we might live in your faithfulness. And I thank you for what you're going to do, and I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. So let's look together. Psalm 105. Here's the first thing I want you to start with. And this is really important, that when we look back over the course of our life, we have to see this, that God has been faithful. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles, and his judgments that he has uttered. Now, that's verses 1 through 5. Now, let me say this. This is a long psalm. And what the psalmist does, he kind of traces or tracks the faithfulness of God through the history of Israel. Up until this present time, them coming out of captivity back into Israel, back into the Holy Land, the Promised Land. And so he's using this to track the relationship. Now, one thing you don't see in English is we read in English, but in Hebrew, five times here, the psalmist uses the name of God, Jehovah, which is the covenant name of God. God had a covenant with the Hebrew children, with the Israelites, and he made this covenant with them that he made with no other nation. He chose this group of people, this this select group of people, to be the ethnicity of the Messiah, the ethnicity of the Messiah. And so he made a covenant relationship with them through Abraham. He says, I will, through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. And the descendants of Abraham, which are the Hebrew children, the Israelites, the Jews, that he made a covenant with them. And in five times, the psalmist uses this covenant name of God, Jehovah. Now, what this does is it sets us apart. It sets, him, sets the Hebrew children apart because of the obedience of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it reckoned to him as righteousness. It also set them apart because the Hebrews were placed in the center of the ancient world. If you were going from the east to the west to Egypt or to Rome or to Greece, you had to go through the Holy Land. God positioned himself and his saving grace, his saving love, in the very center of the ancient world, 
right there in Israel. Boom, there it is. So you're going to pass by and experience the powerful love of God right in the middle of everything. It is just amazing. Because God is faithful, his promised covenant is from him, not from you. It's the promise God has made to us from God, not back us to God. It's a one-sided promise. Now, this old covenant that he was going to bless the world through the ethnicity of the Messiah, through the new generation, through Israel, has now become a new covenant, and that's King Jesus who's going to bless the people of the world. That he's taken this old covenant he made with Abraham, and he actually started with Adam, and he's made a new covenant with us through King Jesus, which includes us grafted in, even though we're not Jewish, we're experiencing the promises of God, and that just changes everything. Now, in these first five verses, there's 10 instructions that we are to do to remember the faithfulness of God. Now, I want to give them to you, and I want to give them to you kind of in order and talk about them a bit. I don't want to get too academic because I want to talk about the life change that this promises when we gear up our minds to say, okay, we're going to live in the faithfulness of God. Here, here's what he says, five, 10 commandments. He says, give thanks. To give thanks, you have to recognize. To recognize what's happened, and I'm going to give thanks. You don't thank people without recognizing a, a graciousness or an attitude. Call on his name, he says. It means that you're giving thanks to the one who's provided the thing which you're thankful for, and you're going to call on his name. You're going to say, God, I thank you. Then he said, proclaim his deeds. In other, other words, I'm going to tell other people how God has been good to me. I'm going to declare his faithfulness. I'm going to sing to him. My mother, bless her heart, she um, never was comfortable that the fact that I walked away from music ministry and into to being a pastor, preacher, teacher. She didn't, she didn't, you know, she thought that was kind of beneath me because she thought singers were the beloved of God. Anyway, she was a musician too. She, she crocheted me a, a little thing that, that, I, that I had in my office for a while. It says, when, when preachers go to heaven, they're out of a job. Singers keep singing forever. <laughs> God loves, like my mama, loves to hear his children sing. We're the only thing in all creation that sings. Birds make noise. We call it singing. It's just noise. People sing, and we sing with the heart of intent. Now, singing is not worship. It's an expression of worship. It's a way we express but worship is giving our hearts to Christ. He's living all for Jesus. But he says, sing to him, because God loves to hear our children sing. I remember my mama would pat me on the chest. I just love to hear my baby boy sing. Scott, just sing to me. And that's my mama. And that's the, really the way God wants to, He wants us to sing. Now, some of y'all sing bad. That's all right. God even loves that. He loves to hear his children sing. Tell the story. And that's not just proclaiming his deeds, but elongate the story of how God's been faithful to you. Then he says to seek him. So when you're in need, you seek the Lord. You seek him and you seek his faithfulness, knowing that he's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the present. He's going to be faithful in the future. So seek him. Then he says to honor the Lord. How do you honor the Lord? I remember I moved to Texas and I had a Texas preacher who says, bless God, bless God. Like, what does that mean? Bless God, bless God. It sounded ridiculous, but you know, really, it's rooted in this giving honor to the Lord. The Lord doesn't need us to bless him, but he wants us to honor him to say everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we become is from him. That's how you honor the Lord. And then he says to rejoice. 
I love what Paul said later to the church at Philippi. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit make known to all the Lord is near. The forbearing spirit, that means my rejoicing spirit proclaims that I have a faithful God. And then the last thing he says is remember. You know, one of our biggest problems is we forget. We forget. And as we do these 10 things, we remember how gracious God is. These 10 decisions reset our mind towards God in his faithfulness, that he is a faithful God. Now, Satan, he loves to lie to you. Satan will say, well, God's been faithful in the past, but he's not going to be faithful in the future, and he won't be faithful in the, in the present. He's just, you know, he's done what he's going to do. He's not going to come through. Satan's a liar. He's punk. You see, God is, his character is what's called immutable. It will not change. And he holds us in his promises and his faithfulness, as the lamentation said, is new every morning. Now, remember this. The psalmist was writing as a reminder to people that God has done these things for us. He's faithful in the past. He's faithful in the present. And he holds his promises in the future. Now, what else does he say? He says this, the Lord is our God. I remember some, someone saying to me recently, he said, well, you know, Jesus is your God. I'll tell you something. Jesus is God. And the Lord is our God. Listen to what he says in, in Psalm 105, 7 and 8. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Because he is faithful, he will remain faithful. Now I want you to look at this. That's what he says. He rules the earth. God rules the earth. That he's in control of the election of 2020. He's in control of the coronavirus. He's in control of all the social unrest. God has got this because he is faithful. And we can hold on to his promises. And he remembers his promises. He doesn't forget. Now, sometimes I want to remind God of his promises. God doesn't need me to remind him. What I need is my heart to remember what God has already said he will do. And that's his promises. His word will not return to him void. But listen to what he says in Isaiah. Remember this and stand firm. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel or my word shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. That's pretty bold. This means I can trust God. My problem is, that I suffer from spiritual immaturity or spiritual malnutrition. What you talking about, Scott? Spiritual maturity means that I am not growing in the Lord, and malnutrition means I am not feeding on the Word of God and the people of God and the presence of God. So therefore, I have no power in God. I am spiritually immature. It means I've not grown up and I'm malnourished. I'm not eating. Two things that mark this. 
Disunity and division is a sign of spiritual immaturity. If you're divisive, you're complaining, whining, negative, and critical, means you're spiritually immature. And you know, naysayers always make themselves bigger than they, than they should be, or they think they are. And naysayers, people that are immature, this is what they'll say. They'll say this. Many people have said, or they'll say, uh, many will leave, or many agree with me, or many people think, and that's all just smoke, and it's designed for spiritual immaturity. Here's another thing spiritual immature people will say, well, I'm just not being fed. Really? Really? Your spiritually mature person needs to be fed. But a spiritually mature person will make sure they're not spiritually malnourished. Now, we go a long way to provide content with for you that feeds you on three different levels. This gathering time, your group time, and your time with God. Because we don't want you to be hungry spiritually. But dead gummit, you got to eat. And you're responsible for taking care of your soul. And when you're spiritually immature and spiritually malnourished, it causes everyone to suffer. My brother Stan, who's also a pastor, he and I had a conversation this week, and we talked about how division and disunity in this season of pandemic and pandemonium has really ravished the church. And I think this, I think God's pruning the church. I think he's starting to to take out the weave and the chair, the the weave and the chaff. I think he's starting to do that. And and, and when I see that, I don't want to be pruned. I I want to be blessed. I want to be fruitful. But I need to grow up. And I need to shut up, and I need to get along. Oh, huh. You see, when I live in the light of God's faithfulness, and I live in the light of his maturity, when I'm making sure I'm growing to be like Christ and I'm being spiritually nourished, then I become a blessing and not a pain, and then I bless the thousandth generation. I just did a funeral for a guy in our church, a wonderful guy, Maurice Armstrong, who loved the Lord and his life ripples to the thousandth generation. Wasn't perfect. I love this guy because he loved Jesus. He was spiritually mature and made sure he was not only nourished, others were nourished around him. You see, God is faithful. And throughout this whole psalm, the psalmist unpacks the faithfulness of God. He talks about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and how God did this and God did this and God did this and God did this. Why did God do all of that? This is why, and he ends it in verse 45 by saying this. All this happened, all of this has happened so that they, you, me, might keep God's statue and obey his instructions. Hallelujah. What? Yeah. All of this that God has done so that I may obey what he said for me to be, that I might become like Jesus. That's why he did this. You see, the psalmist traces the faithfulness of God to show us the reason we are to live all for Jesus. What is that reason? So your life will be a blessing to those around you and to the thousand generation for those who are before you. That's why. Here's one thing I want you to hold on to in this whole thing. God is faithful. God will not give up on you. The other day I got a call from a guy that uh, was doing some work at my house and we had to answer a simple question. We ended up having a, an hour-long spiritual conversation in front of my house about how God is faithful. And I left that conversation. I'm going, you know what, God, 
I had a busy day, but you had a divine appointment for me because I was there to assign to share the love of Jesus with someone who really needed it. It wasn't on my agenda. It wasn't on my schedule. But listen, because God is faithful, I then too can be faithful. And I could spread the love of Jesus in word and deed wherever I go. He's not going to give up on me. That's what I told this guy. I said, listen, God loves you. He's never going to give up on you. And he said, well, you know, I did this and I did this and I did this. I said, yeah, I don't care. God's forgotten that. God loves you. And he wants your life to matter. He wants you to flourish and thrive in him because he's never going to give up on you. And listen, here's another thing. He's never going to let go of you because he's faithful. As you go back and read Psalm 105, I want you to see that God could have walked away from the Hebrew children, justifiably so, many times, but he never did because he's faithful. You see, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. You know what that word portion means? It means the sustenance for my soul. He's my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. 